Before we get into our study, I just want to remind you tonight that our holiday party and talent show will start at 5 o'clock, and uh, we'll meet at Aiken Elementary, and so be careful today. It's pretty wet out there. Well, it's not pretty wet. It's very wet out there. Also very wet in our church building, as you can tell when you were coming in the different entrances, so please uh, be careful. Avoid the buckets, and you should be okay. We are trying to get the roof fixed. I know a lot of you have been asking about that, and uh, we're trying our best to get someone to come look at that and get that fixed as soon as possible. So cannot guarantee before the next rain that it won't be fixed, but we're trying. And so uh, anyway, in case we were wondering. But tonight should be a great time and a great opportunity for us to be together. If you did not sign up and are still wanting to come, if you could talk to Kyle Jones or Keith Bowman this morning and uh, just let them know that you're interested in coming, uh, that would be great. It would be a great time uh, together as a church family. Last week, we saw from Daniel 2 that the stone that was cut out from the mountain without human hands was a prophecy that Daniel gave about the birth of Jesus. And then the kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered, that will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and will stand forever, is the kingdom of God which was ushered in by Jesus himself. Isn't it great to be a part of the kingdom of God? Isn't it wonderful to know that from the very beginning of time, God ushered in a plan that involved his son Jesus, as we saw last week, to come to our rescue mission. From the very beginning of time, Jesus was on a rescue mission to get us back. Well, this morning, we turn to Micah chapter 5. If you have your Bibles I invite you to turn to Micah chapter 5, and we're going to look down in verse 2 in just a moment. Now, the 8th century before Christ, you've got to realize, was a very low point in the spiritual life of Israel. Micah, just like Hosea and Amos had done a generation before, he's beginning to raise his voice against this serious falling away from Jehovah God. And in Micah chapter 1, verse 2, <clears throat> you read these words. Hear, O peoples, all of you listen, O earth and all who are in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. I mean, you put yourself in Micah's shoes. It was Micah's duty to tell the people of Israel that the nation is not just doing a little bad, but in Micah's words, it is in spiritual ruin, okay? If you look at our nation today, and I've talked to so many people this week that have brought this conversation up to me, it is scary right now to live in the United States of America because we're on shaky ground. We have no idea from one moment to the other, what's going to happen, right? But, on the other hand, we know this. God is always in control. And the people of God will always 
prevail. God and his people and his plan will continue to march on. And in the meantime, what we do, just like Micah warned the people then, I believe God is sending out a message to us today through us as his people that we need to wake up and realize these are serious times. These are serious moments where we need to take serious our calling as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so in Micah's day, he, was, he would look around and he would see a lot of moral and social abuses in community life. And Micah refused to be quiet about it. And he would look around at all the false rulers and he would take a stand and he would try his best to surround himself with the people of God to do something about it. Folks, when you look around and you see something wrong with community life, it is our calling as God's people to go to work. It is our calling as God's people to do something about that. And so what happened in Micah's day still takes place in the 21st century. But the message of Micah and the whole of Scripture is this. Mankind is alienated from its creator because of sin. We see from the very beginning of time, we have a sin problem. And page after page of Scripture teaches us this, that God is on a rescue mission, that God is coming back for His own, and He's going to do that through His Son, Jesus. And so it's God who is that aggrieved party, and man is the cause of, of the broken relationship but God says hang on I'm coming and I'm gonna send someone that can take care of your sin problem not just for today but forevermore and so all the people could do then was wait and wait expectantly to see who this person would be and so in the later part of the 8th century B.C., a prophet of God by the name of Micah, he gave this prediction in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. As for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, even though you remain least among the clans of Judah, nevertheless, the one who rules in Israel for me will emerge from you. His existence has been from antiquity, even from eternity. Do you see what Micah is predicting? So this one who will rule Israel will emerge from Bethlehem in the future, but his existence has been from eternity past. Church, listen to me. Only God could do that. That is a miracle in and of itself. And so while the world is waiting over 700 years for the promise to be fulfilled, all of a sudden, one day, it happens. And we know that from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, read this with me, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. There were a lot of great cities, a lot of big cities at the time. 
Christ wasn't born in any of them. Only God could pick out a little village 700 years in advance and have his son born there. And the beautiful thing about Bethlehem is this. From Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, and we'll talk about that in a minute, came the bread of life who we know today became the Savior of the world. That's a truth. And it's a truth that caused the religious leaders of the day at the time of Christ to want to do one thing and one thing only, and that was, we've got to kill this guy. We've got to make sure that his mission is not going to be accomplished. And the only way that we can do that is to kill him. And so they even attempted to do that. And in John chapter 8, Jesus is having an argument with the Jewish leaders. And look what he says beginning in verse 56 of John chapter 8. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And the people said, You aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And at that point, they picked up the stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them, and he left the temple. Now I want to backtrack over to Exodus chapter 3, and I want to show you where this comes from. Moses says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What do I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see, in the Jewish educational system, Little boys between the ages of 5 and 10 years old would be required to memorize what we know as the first five books of the Bible. And so when Jesus says, before Abraham was even born, I am, there was an immediate connection made to the quote from Exodus. And so what we know is, from the existence of Jesus the Messiah, he predates Bethlehem, he predates Micah, Moses, Abraham and even the world itself but here's something interesting now for all of those of us who are on the internet and that's everybody in this room right we're on the internet at some point some of you are in the are on the internet right now you know that often see you just didn't think that I knew that often websites will use security and that will ask you to put in the answer to some questions that only you're going to know the answer to, okay? And hopefully, you're going to pick usually four that you can remember what the answer to them is, okay? Now, the most common one that everybody chooses is what question? In what town? Well, mother's maiden name is one, too. You better not forget that one. But the other one is, in what town were you born? If you don't know the answer to that, you need to go see your local doctor, okay? That's one of the questions that's typically asked 
on those security questions. Well, in the same way that a security question on the internet identifies you as who you really claim to be, so the Lord, through Micah, was answering the security question of where the Messiah would be born. And he says, Bethlehem of Ephraim. Now that name Bethlehem means house of bread. Is that significant? Well, it is in several ways. It certainly was if Jesus was to be the Messiah because if you go back and think about it, let's be reminded, bread was the main source of food for the common person at the time of Christ. When you sit down to eat a meal, most of us are spoiled to the fact that especially if you're having steak and potatoes and a salad and a vegetable, okay? If bread has not been served yet, what are you thinking in your mind? Where's the bread? You know, when is the bread going to come out? We are a people just like they were at the beginning of time that bread was a common source of food. Well, then not only bread was a main source, but then you had olive oil, which took the place of butter. Then you would have milk and cheese from the flocks, and you'd have fruits and vegetables from the gardens and the orchards. And on special occasions, you might have meat. But of course, there was the occasional person who would wear clothing made from camel hair and eat locusts and wild honey, but not the most common of people. And so, what did Jesus, the house of bread, say about himself there's two passages that i want to pinpoint this morning in john chapter 6 look at this one in verse 35 jesus declares i am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty and then in john chapter 6 Verse 41 and also verse 48, he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And again, he reiterates the main message again, I am the bread of life. And so we we fast forward all of that to where bread physically was the common food of the day. Okay? I mean, you sat down, you wanted bread to eat with your meal. Jesus comes on the scene And he says, I am the bread of life. And when you come to me, and when you feast on me, and when you thirst after me, you're never going to be hungry again. In fact, you're never going to be thirsty again. Because I'm the one that will sustain you, and I'm the one that will be all you need. Do you see that, church? Jesus is all we need to sustain us in this life. And so when we have that relationship with God that is pinpointed right there because of what Jesus did for us, Jesus was the rescue mission. And he comes to us and he saves us not just today, but he saves us every day of life from our greatest problem that we run into daily, and that is our sins. Nothing can wash away our sins but what but the blood of jesus christ now when jesus makes that statement 
and he uses that phrase. Obviously, he's using a metaphor. But what he meant in a spiritual standpoint is this. He was necessary in order to sustain life. When you stop and think about it, it's this simple. You eat and live, or you don't eat and die. You eat spiritually and live spiritually, or you don't eat spiritually and you die spiritually. Now stay with me. What is it that connects all those dots together? It is Jesus. And so when he claims, I am the bread of life, that was a huge statement that had life all around it. Now, did the people fully understand that then? Probably not. And you know what? I'm not so sure that we fully understand it even today. Because we have so many things at our fingertips, it is so tempting for us to say, well, I need Jesus plus all these other things. The problem with that is, all you need is Jesus. All these other things that we add on to life, that we think brings us happiness and brings us satisfaction, will never sustain us like Jesus himself will. I want to show you an example of this. I want you to turn in your hymn books to number 226. Song called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Blessing, written in 1758. We're going to sing the first and last verse, but I really want you to focus on the message of the last verse, and I'll talk about some of those things in just a moment. Let's sing 226, first and last verse. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee, may I still thy goodness prove, while the hope of endless glory Fills my heart with joy and love. Really sing out on this third verse. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee. Never leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. Now, let me ask you this question. Who is it that's prone to wonder? Who is it that's prone to leave the God that they love? Who is it, church? That's us. Do you see how that verse starts? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained 
to be. Just like every meal that we eat sustains us at the time, every time we open up the Word of God and feed on it, it gives us life. And it sustains us for just enough time until we feast on it again. Because, see, here's a truth that sometimes we forget. A spiritually starving heart will always look for satisfaction somewhere. Now, what God prays and what we know is we hunger after God. And we realize He fills and quenches our thirst. But are there moments in our life where we hunger after other things? And you see, at the time that we hunger after those other things, guess what? We're prone to leave God. We're prone to wander. And all that time, God is inviting us back to Him because what we learn here is He and His Son, that's what sustains us. That's our hope. And that helps us to realize that Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He's the reason for everything we have. Don't forget that. And if you're tempted to get caught up in the holiday blast that's upon us, don't fall for it. And let me tell you, I love this time of year. I love the lights. I love it all. But when December 26 comes, we begin to realize there's a whole lot more to life than just what we've been caught up in this month. Having that relationship with God means everything, doesn't it? And I know right now, we have families in this church and in this community, they're hurting, they're grieving because loved ones have been called home. But on the other hand, we rejoice and we praise God for the hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, his resurrection says, I'm coming back. Not just me personally, Jesus says, but I'm coming back for you. And I'm coming back to resurrect all your fears, all your dreams. I'm here to take care of all of it. And so next time you're prone to leave or to wander, remember, it's Jesus, the bread of life, who existed from eternity past and who came to earth to provide spiritual food that would empower eternal life. And he's all you need. And that right there says we have a great story to tell other people. We have a great story to remind ourselves in because we live within this story. That's the exciting part. 
we're there. Now, what will you do with it? Only you can decide that. And so Jesus, the bread of life, born in the town known as the house of bread, came to earth to give us eternal life by giving up the life of the eternal one. And so as we stand to sing a song of invitation this morning, where do you stand in relationship with the bread of life? Where do you stand in relationship with Jesus the Messiah? Prone to wonder? Prone to leave him? Or are you fully satisfied? Fully satisfied knowing that the one who created me will never leave us. And for that, we have a lot to be thankful for. Let's stand as we sing this song of invitation this morning.